You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome. Oh, no, hold on. Good one. start. That should just be the start. I know, I know it should. And we're a little rusty because we haven't done this in a while. Welcome to the Family Feud Podcast. It is Keely Orr alongside Shotgun Spratling. We have a podcast. Apparently, we only do it in fall. Well, we're back in the fall. You know, if you guys really like it, we might just continue to do it in the spring next. We'll see. Where will we be in spring? I don't know. I don't know. I was all over the place in the spring. Yeah, that's partially why we were not here is because there was a lot going on. Shotgun was never around. Man, from December from December when USC basketball played in Hawaii, I went there and then I like immediately went to the Cotton Bowl. From there, I felt like every other weekend I was traveling somewhere. You were. You I went were. to Vancouver, San Diego, Arizona, Bay Area, went all over, went to Savannah, went to Charleston, went to New Orleans. It was a hectic, hectic spring for me. Which is part of the reason why we didn't do the podcast. Yeah, thus, this is an apology to you, the, the listener, as to why we have slacked on the podcasting. But we're back. Well, let's actually get into what we podcast about, <laughs> shall we? Uh, it is almost fall camp. Fall, it's fall camp eve. Wait, what, is our, what is our podcast about? USC football? Family oh, okay. feud? Uh, uh, stock neutral? Gotta get no, in there. Team stock neutral. No stock neutral. Stock neutral nation. Where are we at? <laughs> get out of here. Uh, we now have an email address, familyfeudpod at gmail.com. If you want to send us comments, questions, concerns anything we might talk about it on this podcast so family f-e-u-d pod p-o-d at gmail.com yeah so send us your questions comments what you think uh we're not gonna do our normal you know stock neutrals that yeah thank you exist. stock neutrals yeah we're not gonna do any of those for well, yeah sure. this is not a normal podcast format just because it is fall camp eve so we're gonna do a nice little uh a small appetizer of Ooh, I love, I love tasty bites. A little, little tasty bite of, of what you should be thinking about, what we're thinking about going into fall camp. Um, but first, you want to recap the offseason a little bit? PRPs, we first saw JT Daniels. Was he the savior that everyone built him to be, Shotgun? What did you see? I mean, he looks good. You can't say that he doesn't look good. I mean, he is. he throws everything crisp. The, the accuracy is there. You ask some of the yeah. defensive players what they think, and the biggest thing they say is the accuracy. You know, he's just on point. And I think I think it was Christian Rector said, you can't really teach that accuracy. Um, you know, he has worked on his game. We saw him, you know, when you saw him last year. The big concern when USC got his commitment was, oh, he's not mobile. He's a statue in the in the pocket. And he literally ran for a 40-yard touchdown. Yeah, game first game when you saw him. Uh, so, you know, USC has got – a really good quarterback in JT Daniels. And, you know, I think the, the big question is, when is he going to be ready? It's not if he's ever going to be the starting quarterback at USC. It's when is he going to be ready? Um, he looks really good in the, the spring workouts. I mean, the, the summer workouts. But, you know, he reclassified did that whole thing, you know, in the offseason. How soon will he be ready to go? That's the question. Um, so I, I think that you're going to have the battle. He looked good in summer, but that's not with pads on. Yeah, that's yeah, not what guys that's rushing at you. And a he, college defense coming yeah, in. Yeah, be a little bit different. He's going to be facing a college defense, you know, facing a secondary that's got a ton of returning players, a ton of veteran guys, a lot of talent, and defensive line that we're, we're interested to see. So uh, we'll see how he does. You know, we'll see about that. Also in the offseason, you know, we've had, we had everything from a new president or, you know, a fired president at USC to Steve Sarkeesian's. 
uh, lawsuit being dismissed, the Todd McNair trial. Hey. Spending time with Dan Weber all the time at the courthouse. I spent so much time with Dan Weber. I thought I knew all of his stories. No. There, there's always stories for Dan. <laughs> yeah. So that was, I mean, there's a lot of different things that went on in the offseason that were off the field. Now we're interested to see them get back on the field. We only got to see them a little bit in the summer, and they keep limiting more and more our access to summer workouts, even though they're supposed to be just be open workouts that are player-run. Uh, there's And that's what I didn't like. It just felt too engineered. I mean, if you looked at, I think every position group leader had a playbook, um, and they it was very structured, very engineered, which is fine. I mean, that's good, but I, I'm just used to PRPs normally where we'd see it was kind of more loose. Guys could kind of try some things, especially after practice. You could see more one-on-one, some wide receiver DB battles. We didn't really see that. It was very engineered. It was right after when they would do team run. Um, so sometimes it seemed like they were they, – they, sometimes they told us we had a hard team run and we kind of uh, took it a little easier today. So I don't know. To me, I wanted to see a little bit more oomph from – a little creativity, maybe? You yeah, know. maybe. I mean, I feel like PRPs is the one time the coaches aren't there. You could have some fun with it. This is the game you love to play. Maybe remind yourself of, like, hey, this is fun and we can do what kind of what we want to. Hey, but Jenna Harris had fun. He played some he did. receiver. He, did. he really looked good at receiver again. Yeah. He's, he's so much fun to watch. Um, and also, the players used to love the PRPs because we would take photos, we'd take video, they'd ask for the photos and video, that type of stuff. Now we're super restricted. We're, we had to watch from an eagle's eye, from an eagle's nest. From Cromwell, the top of Cromwell. Yeah, a little bit different. Uh, so we, we get to see them in the summer, but we didn't get to see them as much maybe in the past. But some guys already standing out, some of those young guys. We talked about JT Daniels, Amon Ross, St. Brown, that connection, those two guys together. There's, you know... Hopefully they have a good career at USC, but then you really hope that you know somehow they find their way on the same NFL team. That's what I'm hoping. Wow, you're already skipping ahead. Oh, yeah, they're both going to the NFL. Barring injuries, they're both going to the NFL, and I hope they somehow end up together because those two guys just have such a unique connection together. I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback and receiver have such a good connection like they do. Yeah, and that's that was one of the things that we had saw. We saw that at modern day. But you could really see it at PRPs, and this is just a little taste. I'm curious, once uh, we get going, if that's going to elevate both of them. If Amon Ra looks good with JT, if JT looks good with Amon Ra, doesn't that kind of push elevate that up? And that slot position is kind of up for grabs right now. Definitely. I mean, Bayless Jones is there, Trayvon Sidney, but neither one of them has really taken control of it. Bayless Jones has been using them in different ways, you know, using them out of backfield some. Um, I just don't think that they have a true – there's no true Deontay Burnett's replacement mm-hmm. there. Whereas Amon Ra is very similar to Deontay Burnett, in my opinion, except that he is even more explosive than Deontay Burnett. He has a ton of muscles. That yeah. sounds creepy, but he's he's jacked for coming out of high school. Well, he should be jacked. His dad was a Mr. Olympian, a Mr. Universe, I believe. What's the protein, the green protein? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. They, they have their own protein powder, yes. His dad has created that. So, um, you know, his, his two brothers... Equinemius went to the draft this year. I think it was a later round draft pick. Out of, he went left early from Notre Dame. His brother Osiris was a redshirt will be a redshirt freshman. Excuse me at Stanford this year. So it's kind of disappointing that his brother left early because I wanted that whole family battle to go on this year where they no, play you're each really other. For it. I was hoping for that. Um, so that won't happen. But we'll see. You know him on the field. I expect him to be in the rotation yeah, almost immediately. Without a doubt. Here's the interesting thing about, especially JT and and Almond Ross St. Brown, I felt like they brought a competitiveness and a work ethic, at least to PRPs, that you don't necessarily see from freshmen. They were usually the last guys on the field, 
Maybe JT left a little bit earlier sometimes, but Amon Ra was always one of the last receivers on the field. And he does this thing where he lays down on the ground and he, he like moves his arms up and down and then catches the ball and someone throws it to him from all angles. So it works on his hand, uh, his hand, eye coordination, all this stuff. But he was always doing extra work where you didn't really see that with other guys. Yeah, he has a great work ethic. You know, I, I think that it stems from his father being a you know a, a weightlifter and just instilling in him. You know, there's been some documentaries and different things done on the, the family. You know, some people called them the the college football's ball family, but I don't think that's a great comparison. No. Besides the fact that there's three sons, and it's a lazy comparison. Yes, I would agree with that. I think that the Lavar Ball and John Brown are two different characters. Um, I, I think that that. Amon Ra comes in with a great work ethic. He's going to, you know, he's a guy that's been out there extra doing extra work. I think you need those type players in each class, and I think that's good for the freshman class. I think that's pushed uh, Devin Williams a little bit more too. He's another guy that stayed out and, and done some extra work, and I think he's impressive too. Yeah, and he he has a body type that USC is kind of missing right now. You have a Michael Pittman that's tall. This is what I think. Let's go, let's go. The first feud of the season. No, I, he. He's taller, more lanky. You don't really have that that height. Maybe Michael Pittman. He's like a combination of Pittman and Vaughn's, but I don't think that you're missing that because you have both of those guys. I mean, Vaughn's is what six two, and Pittman six four. Devin Williams is six four. He has the same body type as Tyler Vaughn's with a little bit more muscle. Devin Williams has tremendous athleticism. You know, he he runs, jumps well. Uh, I think he's going to be an asset to the team. You know, sooner rather than later how quickly he can get in, but I, I think that he's very similar to a guy like Randall Grimes as well, another guy that's super athletic uh, at 6'3", at 6'4". Six, six, um, so I think USC has those receivers on the outside, and with Pittman and Vaughn's back, I think you have two guys that are ready to, ready to go immediately and should be, you know, there, there was questions last year coming in. I don't think there's going to be any questions about who's starting on the outside this year. Pittman, when he had an opportunity late in the season when he was finally healthy, I think he was able to do the same thing. Um, I think having those two guys ready to go from the beginning is great for the quarterbacks because they're going to need the help, all the help they can get. And the quarterbacks struggle some in the spring. With, with Jack Sears and uh, Matt Fink, neither one of them really took the step ahead that they could have. Yes. You know, I, I think I referenced this on, a, on one of our live shows is that you know, they had an opportunity to basically – be head and shoulders above JT Daniels when he got in, and then it was going to be a competition between those two initially, and JT would have to play a lot of catch-up. Yes. But instead, they had an average, I would say, they had an average spring at best, and with that, JT comes in at the same level. So now it's a competition between all three of them, and JT's not playing catch-up. He's just already there. Now, maybe he falls behind. That's quite possible. But they didn't take the opportunity to push themselves above him to begin with, which they could have. Well, the fact that you have Clay Elton at Pactol Media Day saying, essentially, we had 25 practices to decide. It starts from day one of fall camp. That, if you're Jack Sears and Matt Fink, that's kind of discouraging because you didn't you didn't make your mark in spring at all. Um, and to me, I've said this, I think, on every platform now, but what Clay Helton said at Pactol Media Day, he was laying the foundation, laying the groundwork for starting a true freshman. I, he usually seems like someone who... Trust the, the more senior guy. He he values the, the experience. But the fact that he was very comfortable with being will play whoever wins fall camp, youth doesn't matter. Uh, he I asked him if he had any hesitation playing a true freshman. He said no. So the fact that he's that strong about it and, and at least starting the PR campaign about 
maybe starting a true freshman, I think that is showing some signs of you should expect that. The question becomes how strategic is this decision? Are you making the decision to make sure you have quarterbacks on the roster and if the other guys can't transfer immediately and you lose? I mean, because if JT wins the battle, do both of those guys transfer? Does one of them transfer? I think at least one of them would be transferring because in the current climate of quarterbacks, that you just don't wait around. If you're not the starter, you get out. You go to find somewhere where you are going to be able to start because it's the one position where if you aren't starting, you ain't playing. So I think with the two guys, do we see Jack Sears or Matt Fink decide, you know what, my best opportunity is to go somewhere else and try to find playing time somewhere else if I don't win that job immediately. But do you see I, – I don't see Matt Fink being that guy. I could see Jack Sears being that guy. He's younger. But I, I think Matt Fink is a USC guy till he graduates. It could be. And, you know, Jack Sears is the more highly rated guy. So maybe, you know, if he sees that, you know, he's been passed over, then maybe he thinks that I should go try to find somewhere else. Remember, he was committed to Duke initially uh, before uh, flipping his commitment to USC. So maybe that's a possibility. He, you know, he decides that he wants to go somewhere else. You know, but we won't know until the, the quarterback decision is made. But I think it will – the strategy has to play into it a little bit, or how much does the strategy play into it is what will you know may have a factor on the decision. So we'll see how that plays out. If, if JT just lights out compared to the other guys, then I don't think there's any way you can hesitate to put him in. No. I mean, do you think there's any mind games in Helton's mind because of the whole Max Sam situation? I asked, I asked Helton, did you learn anything from that, that situation that you're going to take into this battle? And he made clear that this is a completely different thing. And I think he kind of has to double down on that. You can't just be like, yeah, I made a mistake. And, you know, I think he's trying to paint the difference of experience that Max Brown had versus Sam Darnold. But is it really? I mean, Max Brown. I think it is. He, Max Brown was there longer. He had actual game experience. But, yeah, I think it is different. <laughs> I think it's different because uh, of the talent of Max Brown coming out of high school. Five-star guy, you know, the Gatorade player of the year in the country. So uh, is JT Daniels. So is JT Daniels. Do you, do you go with the Gatorade pick? <laughs> well, the, you did last time. So do you double down on that? You could. You could. That'll be the the, uh, the, the common thread. Is the JT <laughs> starts because he was the Gatorade national player. Exactly. Uh, no, I think that Max Brown, you know, he'd been in the system for what was it? It was his fourth year in the system yeah. versus two for Sam Darnold. And also just because Darnold, like, maybe the coaches had seen, you know, maybe when they had the close scrimmage or something, they saw the creativity of Sam Darnold. You didn't really see that in practice. You know, I didn't I didn't think it was that close of a competition where it was such a tense uh, battle because you didn't see when Sam Darnold, when there's a free rusher and he makes that guy miss, he's on the run, he throws it 27 yards down the field right on the money to Deontay Burnett. You didn't see that in practice because, okay, well, pass, yeah, six, because, because, oh, poor Augustine put his finger on him, so the play's dead. Like yeah, he, I mean, okay, here's the thing. Two things. One, apparently this is my behindsight bias, but all the scout team guys knew that Sam Darnold was something. So, he was good. But we didn't really pay attention to the scout team. And No, I, you saw him. You saw he was good, but you, you don't he, see that same thing because the play ends up being blown dead because yes, of quarterbacks. Yes, are yes. So and that's a great point. So he, here's my second observation. I guess this is what I had. This is what I thought about with the whole Max Brown and Sam Darnold thing. By the time fall camp ended, Max Brown and Sam Darrell had relatively the same playing ability. But Max Brown had been there longer, and it felt like his ceiling was where... He was also a captain. You know, he's yeah. a veteran on the team. He's a leader. 
we're not rehashing Max Brown and Sam Darnold. I'm just saying I think Sam Darnold's ceiling was higher. The fact that he matched Max Brown at the time should have maybe been an indicator, hey, maybe go with the guy who had a higher ceiling at the time. If, and, if Darnold was able to match Max Brown's skills with how long Max Brown was there, you know, it's a gamble. True. But If you're playing NCAA, the football game, the, the <laughs> long RIP, tear down the cheek, um, the long forgotten game now, um, and you have two players that are both ranked as, you know, overall 85, and one of them's a redshirt junior and one's a redshirt freshman, you play the redshirt freshman because you know you're going to have him for more years. But it's a lot different when it's real life because yes. instead of it being QB4 and QB14, there's names attached there, there's feelings attached yes. there, there's emotions and all that yes. different stuff. You have a captain. It's a lot different than a video game. Without you, a doubt. You can easily say, oh, you got to play that younger guy. But, you know, there's also loyalty there. I mean – Clay Helton gets the job, and he feels loyal to some of those older players as well. You know, that came into it, I'm sure. Yeah. I think it's a little bit different now. Yes, agreed. With a redshirt sophomore and a redshirt freshman versus a redshirt junior who's carrying you over from yes. the previous regime. Yes, without a doubt. I, th- I think there's some differences there. So I don't think that that will play into it. I don't think it's the same situation. No. Um, so I think if JT wins the job, he wins the job. Yeah, without a doubt. Do you think that um – what could make JT stumble in fall camp to make him lose it coming out? Because here's the thing. he's been he Even though he didn't play in spring, he's been around the program since spring. He's had access to the playbook since spring. What can make him stumble? The fact that he should be in his senior year of high school and instead he's playing against college defenses? That's a lot different. <laughs> it's now, granted, uh, let's give a ton of credit to the Trinity League, the high school league that he's in at modern day. Uh, was, is one of the best in the nation. I mean, you have Modern Day and Bosco have been two of the best programs the last five years uh, consistently. But college is different. In high school, it's like, okay, there's four guys on that defense really good. And in college, they're all those really good guys. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the same thing when you take that next step to, to the NFL is the speed difference. Uh, yeah. Everyone talks about the you know early in their career, oh, the, the speed's different. Because instead of – so-and-so being good, it's everybody is that same caliber of good. So I, I think that, you know, as, as if he adjusts to the speed, that's one thing. Adjust to, you know, the pass rush, probably getting to him quicker, you know, that type of thing. He did have a good line at modern day, uh, so he didn't get roughed up too much or anything like that. Maybe that's different when he gets into a game situation at the offensive line, which we'll have to talk about, you know, yes. how, how well they play. I think that could uh, participate in it too. So I think there's some things that could – you know, hurt him there. I, I think that, you know, just the fact that he skipping his senior year to come to USC, you know, that's an extra year of, of uh, experience he would have had if he stayed at modern day. So agreed. Um, if you hear the ghost of Ryan Abraham in the background, he's podcasting in the next room. So you're not, you're not hearing things, but you mentioned the line. Here's the big question. No matter what quarterback you have, how good can they be if the O line doesn't improve this season? They're not going to be great if the O-line doesn't play better. I mean, that's a big thing. The O-line has to perform better. The O-line was much maligned after that uh, that Ohio State debacle. I mean, how many sacks did they have on Sam Darnold? Seven or eight? I've forgotten that game. Eight, nine? Got a lot. That season, okay, here's You a- know uh, what else is forgotten from that game? That head coach that's there because he may not be there anymore. Oops. Whoopsie. Um, you know, their defense line was really good. But they're yeah. also really physical, and that's something that the offensive line did not handle well. Um, so they have to show that they, they can be more physical. I know some of the defenders we talked to, we talked to Cam Smith and Porter Gustin at, at Pac-12 Media Day, they said, yeah, we're getting more physical. But 
we won't know that until we see them in the pads and see if the offensive line can actually hold up against the defense. USC's defense is going to be good. The USC's defense dominated all spring, all but maybe one or two practices. Yeah. They dominated in the summer pretty much. You know, the offensive line has to do something. Now, we'll see what kind of impact Jim Drevno has on that as the run game coordinator. Do they get more physical with some of the schemes? How do they change things? Are they doing more man-on-man blocking versus zone blocking? We'll see. I mean, there's some things we're going to be waiting to see in fall camp. This is a weird question that I don't necessarily believe in. <laughs> Great way to start a question. Mm-hmm. You had Tolobadon very limited in spring camp. You had Brett Nealon and Justin Dietrich there at center. They were singing their praises. It, could you see a scenario where they're just so good that you would want to push Toa out? I mean, that's not fair to Toa, who's been put everywhere his whole career at USC, that you now hits his chance and you push him out. So I don't really see that. But could you see that these freshmen are so good, you got to find them a place somehow? So last year when the competition was center at center was Nico Fala versus Toa Lopadon. Asked both of them, which position would you rather play? Both of them said center. Asked yep. Toa, why would he prefer center? Because at six foot two, that's probably his best bet at the next level. He wants to play that position because that probably sets him up for his future best. Now, as a coaching staff, that's part of your job is to try to help your kids do it, but you also got to win games. So yeah. you got to find that balance there. If you move to a Lomondon, who are you taking out of the lineup? That's the, that becomes the question. That's a great question. And I don't think that there's a great answer there. Uh, if Andrew Voorhees is healthy, I mean, I think he showed uh, – you know, vast improvements throughout the season. Um, so he would be the one possible that you would move out. Because uh, I don't think Chris Brown's not going anywhere. Chuma Doga's definitely not going anywhere. Yeah. And I think the left tackle competition between Clayton Johnston and Austin Jackson, I don't think you necessarily want to put Toa back in front of them no. and kind of stunt their development either. So I, I don't think that the question then becomes, I guess, Andrew Voorhees versus one of those younger centers. And from what we've seen, I think Andrew Voorhees would win out there, you know, just being a freshman and being able to get playing time and kind of building off that. And there could be some other guys getting that mix. Elijah Vera Tucker, yeah. you know, looked good in the spring. We'll see if he gets in the mix or, you know, even some of the younger guys from that. Do you have an inkling between Austin Jackson and Clayton Johnson before fall camp starts? I like Austin Jackson. You know, I liked him coming out of high school, uh, being in the Phoenix area, and the fact that he put on the weight. I think he's, his body, he has adjusted to his body now. Yeah. He was only like two. 68 270 when I saw him in high school and then he was up to around 300 by the time I saw him in uh, in San Antonio for the All-American Bowl if I remember correctly maybe he was like 290 something so he put on some weight there and he's put on more at USC and he told me last year you know it took him a little while to get used to it because your foot speed you, know, you slow down a little bit when you had 30 40 pounds you're going to slow down a bit um, so he was getting used to his body I think I think he's used to more used to it now so I think he has a great chance to, to be the next great left tackle at USC, I think. Now, Clayton Johnston, a guy who blue-shirted, so USC could bring in a guy like Kevin Scott at the time. They brought him late in the cycle, and Clayton Johnston said, sure, I'll blue-shirt, and you know, has been a team player the entire time. And he looked pretty good last year at, at times, um, but I, I think you got to see the consistency from him a little bit more. Consistency overall for the O-line is, is key. That is all about communication and working together, and I think that's been an issue. And I even forgot about in the Ohio State game, we heard afterwards that there were communication issues. Why is that happening in the bowl game? Yeah, I mean, you have a month to prepare for a game, and suddenly you're having communication issues. No, no, that, that defense line is really, really good. Yes. Draft picks are left and right. You know, Nick Bosa may be the number one pick coming up this year. Um, but communication issues? Now, if you just get physically beat, now that happens sometimes too, and that, was, that goes back to the physicality, 
the communication issues, I think, are even a bigger uh, concern because why is that happening, you know, for your 13th, 14th game of the season? Like that, you got to get – that stuff should be hammered out in the first four weeks of the season, not, you know, when you go to a bowl game and you've had a month to prepare for it. Yeah. Now, with Tim Drevno waiting in the wings, some think – do you think it's making it a break for Neil Callaway this year? I think so. I, I think that USC, you know – they had this stretch where they had a different offensive line coordinator every year. This is now their third year with Neil Calloway. I think you need to see those results of having consistency there. If not, you know, then do you make a move? Now, we, we talked about it. You know, Neil Calloway is basically like an uncle to Clay Helton. Yep. You know, he, he coached with, um, with Clay's dad. So they're very close in that regard. But you bring back Tim Drevno, but you don't bring him back as an offensive line coach. You bring him back as a run game coordinator. Now, that's kind of a, you know, is there going to be too many cooks in the kitchen type of thing once again? But, you know, from what we saw in the spring, Tim Dreveno was very hands-off with the offensive line. You know, he's working with the running backs and stuff. You know, I don't think he's a true running backs coach. He's been a long time since he's done that. Yeah. But he was also, I think, like associate head coach with Michigan or something. Like, he, he was already way up the totem pole. So, to get, to get dropped back down to running backs coach, you know, he's going to be looking to work his way up. Uh, at USC or somewhere else soon, I would assume. So, you know, I think he's there if you need him. But I, I really like the way that he was not kind of being, you know, too aggressive with, with his coaching yeah. uh, of the offensive line or anything. I think he's giving Neil Calloway space and giving him respect that Neil Calloway has earned as a coach for, you know, coaching for like 172 years. Um, so I think that, that how they mesh in, if – they need someone to take over. Does that happen? You know, how, how do they kind of balance it? That'll be interesting to see in fall camp, and we'll see if anything changes from spring to fall. But just having Drevno there is, is good, I yes, think. I think, I think it gives you an extra person to talk to, an extra person that knows offensive line play as well. Well, also in the sense of the running backs say that they're they're observing and, and watching film of the O-line, their own O-line, way more than they ever did. So they're seeing like, okay, if this guy's doing this, this is what I got to do. And so it, it's interesting how he kind of takes his own O-line coach, running back coach mesh into the running back's uh, room. So, yeah, running back can be a very uh, instinctive thing. But also, if you studied enough, you learn, okay, I can read where my office alignment is going to be able to put his hat, where I'm going to have a little bit more crease on the inside or outside. You can learn a lot of stuff as well besides just that natural talent of if Ronald Jones gets even with you, you don't have a chance to catch him. He gone. He gone. Um, you mentioned too many cooks in the kitchen. That just makes me think of USC's uh, calling plays. T. Martin with another year under his belt. How do you think this offense looks like? Do you try and just keep it simple, stupid, and, and try and make your young quarterback be as successful as he can be? You know, I don't think you give it the kiss – of death in that regard by not, you know, elaborating, getting elaborate just because you have young quarterbacks. However, I think you do simplify some things. You know, I would like to have seen, I said, if Sam Donald does come back, I wanted to see him have a package where he called all the plays at the line of scrimmage. You go straight no huddle. I don't think you're going to get that, obviously, with this group of quarterbacks yet. But J.T. Daniels did a lot of that mm-hmm. in high school. You know, I remember watching him as a sophomore, and he basically looked at the side, glanced to the sideline, side looked and saw, you know, basically if they needed to make subs or anything, and then went. And he, he was calling hot routes at the line. He was, you know, each receiver, he was, it was crazy to watch. <laughs> and the fact that Modern Day gave him that responsibility shows the, the trust and faith they had in him. 
you know, I, I think that he's a guy that could do that, but you're not going to put that on a freshman just to begin with. So I, I think you're going to have a simplified playbook to begin the season. I think you could easily grow the playbook exponentially as the season grow, goes, as you get more and more comfortable with a quarterback, what they like, and what they can actually do in a game. So what you can do in practice, what you can do in a game can sometimes be different. True. Very true. I mean, we're kind of going position by position. We, we essentially went through the whole offense except for running back. Stephen Carr, do you think he's ready? Yes, he's supposed to be cleared. They're going to bring him back slowly. Um, looking forward to seeing him get out there and, and get going because he's such a joy to watch. As he tweeted, they let him off the leash. So, off the leash. Uh, defense, switching over to the other side of the ball, this is a deep group. This is one of the mm-hmm. deepest uh, defenses we've seen in a while. Yes, there's posi- there's guys at every position. There's depth at every position. Uh, you know, you have besides the fact that you have you always have guys at every position. You always got oh well, you know that next guy is a, that freshman coming in. He's gonna be good. We expect him to be. good. You have veteran guys that are yep. stacked up. Like in the secondary in particular, you got a guy like Jonathan Lockett who was starting and started in parts of two different seasons, coming back, and you don't know where to put him because well, we already got guys that are already there. You know, he was the nickelback before he left, but Ajene Harris has got that position on lock right now. I mean, so, Ajene shined when when Jonathan Lockett got hurt, and now Jonathan Lockett's coming back in and meeting the guy who took his place. So it'll be interesting. And, and Jonathan Lockett was a spring camp hero. Now does that transfer over into fall? That's the big question. Yeah, and you look at those DBs. Besides that, you have Marvell Tell returning as a senior. Before, this is going to be his fourth year starting parts of his freshman year. Uh, and then beside him, you got like 42 safeties beside him. You know, 42, sounds accurate. I think that's correct. Uh, 42 safeties beside him trying to take that spot vacated by Chris Hawkins. But now Marvell Tell's role changes. He's a veteran guy. Now he's got to lead by example as well, but also be the vocal leader back there. Um, I think Isaiah Langley's ready to take that next step. You know, he looks, he and Iman Marshall both look super focused this spring. I'm expecting big years from both of them on the outsides. You've got some really young um Cornerbacks, ITS and OG, Isaac Taylor Stewart and Elijah Griffin, both the could, abbreviation team. Yeah, could both work their way into the mix and think that they're going to be the next, you know, next run of stars at that cornerback position. A guy like Ray Johnson returns from shoulder injury. You know, he was working his way into um, to some playing time last year. Where does he fit in? I mean, there is and that's so someone much. that Cam Smith specifically pointed out is, hey, watch for watch for Greg Johnson. He's going to be good this year. Which... I love me some Greg Johnson. I've been watching him <laughs> for like I feel like fifteen years from his Hawkins day. Uh, a great kid and everything, and you know he he's a, a stocky kid, and you know you yeah. don't think that he is going to run as fast as he does. You don't think he's going to jump as fast as he does, and he just does everything really well. You know, he, where does he fit in? There's so many guys out there. We, we see Talanoa Hufanga. Freshman. Yeah, you know, man. There's <laughs> You're so right. Many. There's 42. Bubba Bolden, you know, Isaiah Polamau, uh, C.J. Pollard. You know, no, all these wow. guys. You're right. Just so much depth in that secondary. I, that, I'm looking forward to that the most. I, I said it earlier on, on our other shows that that's the one position I'm looking forward to watching the competition the most because there's so many good players out there. Yeah. The only guaranteed spots are Iman Marshall and Marvell Tell. And both of those are guys that have started for four years. So Cam Smith, you're going to get Porter Gustin. The rest of the positions, there's going to be some good competition. Yeah. I mean, you look at the, the spots uh, vacated by Rasheem Green and Josh Fatu on the inside. You know, USC plays a ton of two down linemen. You know, with those two guys gone, 
Is it Christian Rector and Malik Dorton battling for one spot? You know, where exactly does Christian Rector fit in there? He had six, six, six or six and a half sacks last year. You know, what position does he fill? You know, he played he played a hybrid role last year when Port Augustine got hurt, and then he got hurt himself, and then Jordan Iasefa took over that predator role. Um, so, you know, Jordan Iasefa returns as a linebacker. you got six new linebackers. Man, there's it's so like much. A and we had, bag of linebackers. And we even talked about the defensive tackles with Jake Tefale and Brennan Peely and Caleb Trimble, the Juco player coming in. Marlon Tupelotu. Marlon Tupelotu's back healthy now. Yeah. And he was the guy that everybody – now, this is the timeline for me. With, with those, with him and Jay Tufele, I saw them both at the Army Bowl, and I thought Jay Tufele looked. I thought Jay Tufele was the best looking defense tackle I saw. Come to fall, comes Marlon Tupelo, gets to go to spring camp, shows out during spring. Yep. Obviously, you know, getting that extra fifteen practices is huge. And then in the fall, it's like, oh, well, he's going to take. He might get some reps. He's going to get some playing time. He does get a little bit of playing time, but. You know, he injures the back. He's out for the season. Brandon Peely is the one that takes over. Yep. So, Jay Tufele, who's the guy that was the best that I saw in, at, in the high school All-Star game, is the guy that's now working his way up. So, he's going to be in that battle. Man, there's there's just a ton of talent there. It's going to be fun to watch them battle it out. And now, what is depth and talent if you don't have rotation? That's going to be the real question. So, there's been a lot of complaints about Clancy not, you know, not rotating a bunch of guys. And, you know, he always says, I'll rotate as many as I trust. Thus, what does trust mean? I know Clancy's it's hard. Book. It's hard to get gain that trust from Clancy, but you know, I, talking to Cam Smith at media day, and he said, you know, I think we're going to rotate. You know, we've rotated fifteen guys at times. I think we'll rotate 20, 25, yeah, yeah, 30. Yeah. Like, there's a ton of talent there. So as soon as those guys show that they know the playbook and they're going to do their assignment. I think they're going to be in there. Uh, we, even, we didn't even bring up Yakili Ross at safety position. He's oh, right. the guy yeah, that's no. the likely starter right now. Know. You know, he was the one that had the best spring. You know, he moved from that, you know, he's played some nickel. He's actually training at both, both nickel and the safety spot. So, you know, they'll get him on the field somewhere too. You know, there's a lot of talent there. Yeah. Um, I feel like the characteristics of if Clancy trusts you, it's kind of like a business. I mean, Clancy's an NFL guy. He's coming from the NFL. They kind of take it really seriously. Look at Iman Marshall. Look at Cam Smith. Those are professionals. You know, they, they take it seriously. They're not goofing around. They know where they're supposed to be. They know where everyone's supposed to be. I mean, Cam told us at Pac-12 Media Day, now the defense takes tests. Something new. Yeah, they take tests, and so everyone has to say where they're supposed to be and where everyone else is supposed to be on the field based on what they see on the screen, right? They Something. take a test on the defense to not only tell, hey, this is my assignment, but this is what everybody on the field yeah. is supposed to do. So if you know what everybody's supposed to do, that helps you out so much more. Now, when you're giving new guys the playbook, focus on you. Just focus on what you got to do. Don't worry about anybody else. Don't try to do anybody else's job. But when you get a veteran and he and Cam Smith can say he can look over, you know, he calls the defense, he looks over and sees the safeties at, at 15 yards and the safety needs to be at 10 because he's doing something. He can call and, you know, signal or whatever it may be and make an adjustment at the line at the you know before the ball is snapped to help your defense out. And, you know, when everyone can do that and everyone can call everybody out, and it seems like they have that um, that culture now where yeah. if they need to call somebody yeah. out, somebody gets called out, at least on the defense. Um, so, you know, I think the defense is going to be really good. It's going to be really fun to watch all the competition and see how it kind of shakes out. If everyone knows where they're supposed to be, the mental processing on the field, it's faster. Those tests maybe translate to faster processing. Um, but you kind of alluded to this. I was really impressed by Porter and Cam. And the culture change. It really looks like they've tried to change the culture. Cam mentioned he wanted to kind of have a high school feel where everyone's bonded. They want to. They might want to do a captain's dinner. 
Um, apparently, they're going to try and do a, a seniors jump off the high dive at the end of fall camp to be a tradition that they start because Cam really wants to leave a legacy, leave a tradition. So when he comes back in 10 years, they're like, hey, we're still doing that. So it's interesting just how Cam has really taken, as he matures more as a leader, he's already been a captain, but now he's probably going to be a captain again. As he matures more, it's really going to have a culture change. And they have a leadership forum now where uh, yeah, you know at least council. one council, council, sorry, leadership <laughs> council, where at least one person from every, every position group comes and they meet and they talk about the leadership and different things. The quarterbacks are all coming, um, and it's not you know it's not like elected officials. It's anybody that wants to come can come. Um, so it, it, you know they're they're doing some different things. We'll see how it works out if it when we get on the field tomorrow. Yep. Crazy tomorrow. We're starting tomorrow. Our lives end tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I went on a date last night because I know oh. that there's no there's no dating once football actually starts. I, I get like two months straight where I don't have a day off. Yeah, it's rough, but it's hey, we're we're lucky to do what we do. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's blessed. Uh, I think that's gonna wrap it up for our hashtag world. blessed. Hashtag blessed. Any final words? You got, I thought you were going to rapid fire me some questions. Oh, oh, let's do agree, disagree. We got, what, three minutes to yeah, go? No, agree or disagree? Giving, he's giving me a timeline here. Here's a new segment. Agree, disagree. I'm going to say a statement, and Shotgun, maybe I will chime in on whether we agree or disagree with this statement. Ready? Okay. First up, USC can be this year's Georgia. Agree or disagree? As in national championship failures. Is that what you're saying? Oh, <laughs> as in true freshman quarterback Good defense. I disagree. Good thing. I disagree because okay. I don't think that, that USC has the same running game yes. that the offensive or line. line. Yeah, there we the go. The offensive line that led to the running game that Georgia had last year. I mean, Georgia had three really good backs, but their offensive line carried them a lot of times. So gave Jake Fromm plenty of time to throw as a freshman quarterback. I think that's the biggest difference between those two, so I'm going to disagree. Okay. Uh, JT Daniels will have the most starts out of all the quarterbacks by the end of the season. I agree with that. I think he's just he's really good. And, you know, with the new redshirt rule giving you four games, I think he'll at least get a trial early in the season. And then you say, hey, if it didn't work out, you know, we, we can still redshirt you and still keep that redshirt year. So I think that that helps him out even more. Him and other freshmen, you know, everybody's going to get a little bit more playing time more than likely because they can play up to four games and still redshirt. I agree with that one. USC will be 4-1 and one by the end of September. 4-1. Yeah, I tried to give you a curveball there. Ooh. I'm gonna disagree. Ooh. I think they're gonna be three and two. I, I've talked about that stretch where they play at Stanford, at Texas. Texas, you know, not that it's that far away, but it's halfway across the country. Halfway across the country, and you come back and play on a short week against a Washington State team that has a completely different offense than yep. you prepared for for any of those first three games of the season. Then you go from there, you have to go back on the road again. So three of the four games are on the road. Um you had to go play at Arizona and face Khalil Tate. And, you know, it's going to be at night, and hopefully it'll be rocking there. Um, it has to be at night because it's September. Yes, thank you. My, my shoes don't have to burn on the turf? Yes. Yeah, the last time we went to Arizona when it was 100, 136 on the field, 156, yeah. something ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> just, the, just the heat coming off the field was, wasn't cra- uh, was crazy incredible. Um, so I, I disagree. I think they somehow go 3-2 and two out of that. I think they win – the UNLV game for sure, and I think they go two and two in the rest of it. Could they do better than that? Definitely. Could they end up five and zero? Oh? If they do, I will be leading the bandwagon for national championship contender. Then. Wow, wow. I, I think three and two is a successful September with a with a with a young quarterback. We don't even know who it is, but I think if you have a young quarterback, three and two, eh, 
maybe maybe not successful, but that's good. It's not great, but it's good. I feel like three and two might be the expectation. If you end up four and one, you think it's successful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's if you right. End up five and zero. Oh, let's lead the church to the national championship. Oh, natty. I mean, Clay Helton did say the next step for the team is to become a playoff team. So we'll see. Got to win your conference first. So what's the breakdown between three and two? What do they win? What do they lose? Oh, I don't. There, has, there has to be. There is going to be a game lost in September just due to physical fatigue. There's you mean no like doubt. when they had sixteen? I mean, uh, twelve straight games in a row last year. Oh my god! What's a bye week? We get there. There's a bye week. This there's season. a bye week. I think after those five games, I think yeah, there is. Right a bye after week. Arizona, there's it's, a bye week. Uh, it's the sixth. Well, half of almost half a UFC season is done in September again. It's ridiculous. That's kind of crazy. Um, but you know, I think that they split the. The two early road games, Stanford and Texas, and I think they split the other two games, Washington State and That's really lame. Arizona. I want some tangible, concrete opinions here. You never know. By the time they get to Texas or Washington yeah, State, is, like... This is a dumb, blind guess. That's I'm fully aware of it, but I want it. I've given you three and two, and <sighs> they'll win blind. one of them. They'll split each of those two games. The thing that everyone should be aware of is that the Stanford game is not... Everyone is like, the Stanford game is the litmus test. That's who USC is. No, it's not. Either either USC is really good against Stanford, and everyone's like, that's the standard, and then it doesn't really happen. Or USC does not play well against Stanford, and they're like, this team is just not good this year. Yeah, we and all, that doesn't we, happen. It is kind of the thing. We, we kind of say, oh, the, when they play Stanford, we'll really know about this team. It's and not then the case. It's the last never one, like, been the three case. three or four of the years, it's been like, no, not really. No, it's, it hasn't been the case. So that's my hill that I will die on. <laughs> oh, man. Just kidding. Okay, fall camp. Tomorrow, instant analysis, uh, interviews, Articles, all that good stuff. Make sure you tune to uscfootball.com for all that content. <laughs> that was exactly. my little plug. Also, email familyfeudpod at gmail.com. You can tell us what you think, comments, questions, concerns. and There should be some concerns for Keely after that. <laughs> no. I, I, Ryan's making a face like, what? Oh, yeah. That's going to wrap it up for our podcast. We're excited for football. We're excited to be back podcasting. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace.